If you had to trace your family tree, how far back can you go off the top of your head? One year. <laughs> how far back can you trace your family tree? Four generations. So back to your great-great-grandmother? Without thinking about it too much. How many of you have even met your great-grandparents? Yeah, some. I know a lot of kids over here knew great-grandma, great-grandma who just passed away. I think I met my great-grandmother, Ratchford, once or twice in the hospital, and Oma and Opa Entz once or twice, I think when they were living in a... But other than that, I, I, I don't even know their names. I only knew them as Oma and Opa Entz, and I knew great-grandma Ratchford, and that's all I know about them. I don't know my great-grandfather's name, and that was only one side. I didn't know the Friesen side, I don't think at all. And I don't know their names. I was thinking about this this week as like we, we're a little disconnected from our history. Uh, Most of us are. Um, I started noticing this the year that the movie Titanic came out. That suddenly there was all these movies like that were based on historical events. And it seemed to me that like our culture was suddenly going, we don't know where we came from. We don't know what happened. We don't know the stories of our history very well at all. And that's where the genealogies in the Bible come in. Imagine if you could trace your, your, like like Paul said, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, and he could trace it back. Actually, I, I think even to this day, Jewish families send their birth registrations into some archive place in Jerusalem, and they have kept track of these things for generations and generations so that they can trace it back a long, long way. There's a longer story that has led to your life, my life. What's that longer story? Like often we just kind of think in the here and now, don't we? Like, I'm here now, I'm alive now. Maybe I have some kids, and maybe they'll have some kids, and maybe I'll never meet my great-grandchildren. What was the story that led to me being here? What was the genealogical journey? Whose faces do you see in the mirror? We often don't think about family in that way until we experience a loss. And then we start thinking about the story that led to who we are and how we're connected in the history that we have. Today we're going to look at Luke chapter 3, 23 to 38. If you want to turn there in your Bibles. I did a quick search of the last 16 or so years of sermons, and I preached through the Gospel of Luke. I preached a bunch in Matthew, and I've preached a lot in Old Testament stuff, and I have never, ever preached a sermon on a genealogy yet. That changes today. 
Because we generally, I mean, uh, uh, how many of us, if you do, you read through the Bible, you know, in a year thing, you hit like Chronicles and you go, flip, 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 flip. All right, done those five days, check. <laughs> we don't take the time. To, I mean, they're hard to pronounce. So I, I was like, ah, like that's the hardest part of the Bible to read because we just, there's all these letters that just kind of start looking like a big blur of what is this? And we skip over them so quickly, but they're so important. And let's just remind ourselves of 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so the man and woman of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Guess what? It includes the genealogies. Because they're in there. They're in there for a reason. Luke chapter 3. Let's stand as we read God's word. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias. We need one of those. We got a Matthias, we got a Matthias, we need a Mattathias. The son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Elsie, the son of Nagai, the son of Maat, the son of Matthias, Mattathias, and there's that one again. The son of Samin, the son of Jesh, Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Joanna. Actually, if you pronounce that properly, it would be the son of Yoda. Um, <laughs> the son of Ressa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Nerai, the son of Melchi, the son of Adid, the son of Kasim, the son of El-Madam, the son of Er, the son of Joshua, the son of Eleazar, the son of Joram, the son of Matat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Meli, the son of Mena. Oh, there's the Mennonites. Uh, <coughs> the son of Mattatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Kainan, the son of Arpaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalil, the son of Kainan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, as we read these words today, and this is just a long list of names, help us to hear what you have to say to us today through your word. Amen. 
genealogies. We often like to skip them. We often like to get over them. We like to get through them. We may pick up a few names that we recognize, maybe the stories in there, but often we will just kind of blast through them and not pay much attention to them. We see David, we see Abraham, we see the Son of God, we see Adam. We see Zerubbabel, who was the governor of Judah when they rebuilt the temple after the return from exile. And Daryl uh, Bach says in his commentary, some people are well-known Old Testament people who made a great mark in the story. Others are known to us only in this list. Then he says this, Jesus represents both the well-known and the unknown of the world. Jesus represents the known and the unknown of the world. So many of these names, we don't know who they are, we don't know what they did, know nothing about them except that they're on this list. History would, be, would forget them quickly. Jesus represents those who were quickly forgotten as well as those who were remembered. I was going to say Jordan Peterson, but it's Eugene Peterson, an actual Christian, uh, says this in Five Smooth Stones. The genealogical lists in the Bible, synonymous in so many minds with tedium, are in fact documentation of the most exciting parts of the story. For the gospel does not address a faceless, nameless mob, but persons. The history of salvation is thick with names. The name is the form of speech by which a person is singled out for personal love, particular intimacy, and exact responsibilities. The biblical fondness for genealogical lists is not a pedantic antiquarianism. It is a search for personal involvement, a quest for a sense of personal place in the web of relationships in which God fashions salvation. These, these lists aren't here just to give us information and a timeline. They're there to tell us that God is a God who steps into our story. That he knows our names. That he knows our journey. That he knows all about us. And we're part of that story. What is Luke doing here? And if there's all sorts of discussion, of course, as to Matthew's genealogy and Luke's genealogy, and they're different, and they, you know, Joseph's father is different in Matthew's genealogy than, than in Luke's, and, and David's first son named in Matthew's genealogy is Solomon, and it's Nathan in Luke, and, and there's 40 names given in Luke between David and the Messiah, and there's only 26 names between David and the Messiah and Matthew, and what's going on? Why are these so different? The Bible's obviously wrong. No, they just have totally different goals in telling the story. Now, Matthew actually is very selective in his genealogy because he wants 14 generations from Abraham to Exodus, from Exodus to the exile, from the exile to the Messiah, because the name David adds up to 14 in Hebrew numbers. Two times seven is 14. And so he's working on a very Jewish 
grid of mathematics and symbolism. And there's all sorts of different answers as from like the time I think of like Origen and Jerome, like and within the first few centuries, people were going, oh, these lists are different. What's the solution to this problem? And for 2,000 years, people have been wrestling with it. And the best answer is don't know. There's a lot of different options, but with the data we have, there's, there's problems or there's questions with each of them. And there's no simple solution, no simplistic solution to that. Other than there's a purpose why each of these lists exists. And the core purpose for Luke's list is not to go to Abraham, the founding father of the Jewish people, but to go all the way back to Adam because Jesus is the savior of all. And that's Luke's theological theme from the start of his gospel to the end of Acts. That Jesus came to save everyone and he is the representative of us all. He is the son of God. Luke's also encased this this genealogy because he didn't put it at the front of the story like Matthew. He sticks it like in chapter three, right? Well, there's no chapters when Luke wrote it, but he saves it for later in the story. Well, what happened just before Luke gives us the genealogy? Go back, even just one verse. Jesus' baptism. And what does God say? You are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. Now, go to the other end of the story, after the genealogy, after Luke concludes it with Adam, the son of God, And what's the first word in the quotation marks? And Satan said, if you're really the son of God, prove it. And so Luke has constructed this and he's put it in the narrative framework of God declaring over him, you are the son of God, with Satan saying, come on, are you really the son of God? And right now we're back in Genesis chapter three. Did God really say that you were his son? Did God really say it? Luke's taking us into the the cosmic story of the gospel here. He's taking us into this history of God working through people after people to come to Jesus who will be the savior of the world. And he will be the king, the son of David. He will be He will represent the nation as the son of Abraham and he will represent humanity as the son of God. All three of these are kind of the key pivot points. Kingship, nation, humanity. Again from Daryl Bach, he says, in Jesus, God has carefully designed affairs so that as son, Jesus can realize both the hope of the Old Testament and the hope of creation. The hope of the coming of a son of David as Messiah, King of Israel, who will restore and renew. And he will be the son of Abraham who will fulfill the blessing to all nations. Through you, I will bless all nations. And all of creation is a son of Adam. So we see the 
creational covenant, the Adamic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, and the Davidic covenant all coming together in this genealogical list. The heart and soul of the Old Testament right here in the story of who Jesus is and his identity. That's what Luke is pointing us to. He is the savior of humanity. And for Luke, Luke is writing to a Gentile who is questioning whether everything that he's been taught about Jesus is real. I want to write to you, Theophilus, so that you know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Jesus is the savior of all. He is not a nationalistic Messiah sent to make Israel great again. He is here to be named among the nations as the greatest name and that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is here for all of humanity. Because the story of salvation is the story of humanity. God works in history. Jesus is connected to this long, long story of salvation from the beginning all the way to the cross, to the empty tomb, and to the new heavens and the new earth. And in Christ, we become family connected with him, adopted as his sons and daughters. We are grafted into the story, as it were. And yet Jesus is there for all because we all go back to that first. We were to be able to trace our genealogy, it would all go back there too. We're part of the same family. Do you struggle with God's declaration of your identity in Christ, that you belong to him and that there is nothing that can take you out of his hand. You are his son, you are his daughter. The story of salvation is that in Christ we become reconnected to the story, to the lineage, to the family of Jesus. Ephesians emphasizes this over and over again as we prepare for communion. Because in communion, we become family. <coughs> we declare our connection to Christ as we take the bread and the cup. Ephesians chapter 1, 3 to 10 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. There's a passage to memorize and to let sink deep down into your heart and make as the core of who you understand yourself to be. 
There's a lot of questions about identity going around in our culture. This is it right here. In Christ, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places we are blessed with. He has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be holy and blameless before him. Get rid of the period. This is actually one sentence in Greek. It goes all the way to verse 14. Paul's just overwhelmed with this reality. He can't even stop himself. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. Adoption to himself. That we would be his family as sons, as daughters, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. He has chosen you for himself with a purpose to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. Wow. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. There's that word again. To the praise of his glorious grace according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth, to unite all things in him, to make us one family. It's so amazing. Over in chapter two, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, which is made by, in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now, circle it, but now, in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Killing the hostility. The hostility that existed between Jew and Gentile. The hostility that still resonates within human hearts in racial tensions. He kills it at the cross. One humanity, one Savior, one people of God, no divisions, no hierarchy except King Jesus and his servants. For he came and preached peace to you who were far off, peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself, the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole 
structure being joined together grows in a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. And this is so absolutely, crucially, incredibly important that the building no longer matters to people. Wherever we are, wherever we gather, in homes, under trees, in basements lit by one light bulb like they do in China. Wherever you are gathered together around me, I'm there with you. In whatever language, I love in Revelation, the, the picture, the throne of God in every tribe, tongue, and language is represented in all praising God together. Amazing. Because Jesus is the Son of God, the Son of Adam. And all humanity finds its identity and salvation through him. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one body, one spirit. And so we are all called to all humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And the miracle of the church isn't that we're all the same, but that we're all different. <laughs> and we're called to put up with each other. That's a literal translation of bear with one another. Just put up with one another. You're weird, okay? I love that. That's actually kind of, I, I saw a summary of what Paul's letters actually kind of read like, right? You know, it's like, hi, this is Paul. I love you a whole bunch. For the love of all that's holy, stop being stupid. By the way, Timothy says hi. That's like all the Paul's letters, right? <laughs> Be together and love each other deeply from the heart. And that is what the cross does for us. It puts us in that story where Luke starts with Jesus. And he says, this is Jesus Messiah, the one who has come to save the world, the one in whom every tribe, tongue, and nation can find healing, forgiveness, and reconciliation with the Creator. And he is the son of David, the coming Messiah King. He is the son of Abraham who was called to God, so that all nations could be blessed through him, and he is the son of Adam, from whom every tribe and tongue and nation gets its name. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, throughout all generations, 
How far back can you trace your generations? Jesus has been there through all generations. And every generation needs to find its fullness in him. To him be glory in the church, the right now gathered body of faith in Christ Jesus, through whom all generations forever and ever. Amen. Invite those who are serving to come and join me at the table. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that because of the cross of Christ, there is now neither Jew nor Greek, male or female, slave or free, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, all are one in Christ. There is no division, there is no hierarchy, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified by his grace. Lord, thank you so much that you came and that you lived. Son of David, son of Abraham, son of Adam, son of God. That you could represent all of humanity in your sinless sacrifice upon the cross. For he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And that through your blood and through your sacrifice, we have been adopted as sons and daughters of the King. But that is only if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the wages of sin is death. And we've all earned that. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. In Jesus Christ our Lord, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, that's the step you need to take. As we come to this table this morning, know that there is no belonging to the family of God apart from belonging to Jesus Christ. And that belonging to Jesus Christ comes through the surrender of yourself to his lordship and his kingship and his authority. Jesus says, unless you take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of me. You cannot be my disciple and hang on to your own life and the way you want to do things and the values that are, are shaped by your culture you have to take leadership from me alone. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ this morning. That you would reveal to each heart here today who is listening online where it is we're still holding on to lordship of our lives even if we've been going to church forever, we're still struggling with the sin nature in us. We're still wanting to take back control. Lord, help us to surrender to you today. 
and simply pray this, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for going my own way so often. Forgive me for all the sin in my life, the ways in which I have gone my own way, done my own thing, assumed authority over my own life, and I have not been letting you be Lord. I want to confess today that you are Lord. And that you are the only way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father except through you. And so, Lord, come into my life as Lord, Savior, and change me. Show me where my heart is proud and arrogant and self-centered. That I may surrender to you fully day after day. Because I know you love me deeply. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for taking the wages of sin that were mine that you died on the cross. And I believe, Lord Jesus, that you are alive today, that you rose from the dead, defeating sin and death and Satan. And you live victorious and exalted in the holy presence of God. And one day you will return and make all things new. So, Lord Jesus, I ask you today, as I lay down my life and the authority that I have taken over my life and all the things that I have done wrong that break your heart and break your law, would you write my name in your book of life? That at the resurrection, I would be yours. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice for us. Now as we take the bread and the cup, may we just find our identity so joyfully fulfilled in you that we need to look nowhere else knowing that we are in Christ, beloved as family. In Jesus' name, amen.
On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus took the cup and gave it to his disciples and he said, take and divide this amongst yourselves. And then we drink together. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And covenant is the formation of community. 
It is the agreement to be family. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, how far back can you trace your genealogy? We're the cloud of witnesses right now watching. This image is like of a stadium <laughs> with the crowd cheering on those who are competing in the games and that's who we are right now. And there's Aggie. There's Kendall. There's Deb. Tim. It's my grandparents. We're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and every sin clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, thank you that your story isn't just a cosmic God come down to rescue little people, but your story is embodied in a family. That you came and that you lived as one of us and you had a family. You had connection and belonging and identity in that family. And now you have offered that same connection and family to us. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that as we think about the story that you have woven through history and through people, we would see ourselves in that story and find our hope in you and our joy in you and our purpose in you because we belong to that same family tree. Go with us in this week. Fill us with the amazing love and joy that we have in you. Thank you for those who have come before us, who led us to faith in you, who discipled us, who, who mentored us. May we do the same for our children and their children and their children and their children.
Thank you for the journey we're on. May we run with perseverance the race you have marked out for us today. In Jesus' name, amen.